Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 80 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we? Good evening, man. Uh, episode 80, you say? Episode 80, yes. My word. 20 away from 100. Oh, Four uh, score into yes. this podcast we are. What an achievement. Um, yeah, pretty proud of that, really. And only 20 away from the, uh, from yes, the full century. From the so. century. So we need, to co- we need to start coming up with ideas, I think, for the... Uh, you know, what, Paul? you know what, Paul? But I, I thought you were going to go a different way with that. I was going to say, by the 100th episode, we need to come up with like a coherent structure for our show. <laughs> because we've got, I think, most of the way there. Let's say 80% of the way there. That yeah, allows fair, us 20 yeah. episodes yeah. to come up with the last 20%. And then we'll have quite a polished product for, for you guys listening to this. And we should say, because I think it's easy for us to forget to say this, Paul... Um, again, thank you to everyone and anyone who has supported the show so far and who listens to this, downloads it, shares it, takes any kind of interest in our show because obviously we do it because we love it, but it still makes us feel good to know that people are actually bothering to listen. Yes. So yeah, much appreciated. I would say I would say so. If no one listened, we probably would stop. To be fair, well, um, I don't know. We'd probably be talking into the, so, the void for so the rest yeah, of our and lives. Also, but... And on that subject, of obviously thanking thanking the people who listen as well. There's someone uh, that I wanted to thank as well um, who's been doing quite a lot of our social media. Now, uh, James Ewan uh, has, shouts, yes, shouts out to big James shout Ewan. out to James Ewan, who has, I, in my opinion, certainly uh, improved our social media game by about four hundred thousand percent. He's raised um, the bar from so, being yes. on the floor <laughs> yeah, to yeah. an actual yeah. bar. So uh, yeah. yeah, big thank you to James, uh, and yes, yeah, so all the sort of news on Twitter and that kind of thing, and the much improved Facebook feed and that kind of thing is, is basically done to James. To be honest, well, I say many James, yeah, and, done to James. And so, if you uh, don't know now, you know James Ewan actually a bit of a, a star when it comes to like the indie film scene particularly uh, short films and such in Bristol right because he's a guy who puts on events that well, he used are, to put on or, events. sorry yeah, yeah, yeah you're right used yeah. to put on events they're pretty well attended and he was a bit of a face in that scene so to have James involved in what we're doing I mean we massively appreciate that help and you know talking of help that we appreciate shouts out to one uh, Jack Mills over here still manning the keyboard of steel and bringing yeah I think some there are some weeks when it seems like we don't appreciate you um, and maybe maybe that's because some weeks we don't uh, yeah maybe but, but this week know. I'm feeling appreciative Jack oh thank well, you yeah, yeah. you, you <laughs> As the old saying goes, you mercilessly bully the ones that you love. So uh, that's that's kind of what we do. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, so we should come on to, Paul, the first section of our show, which is always a trip into the foyer. And this week, there's only really one... I'm not sure what we could talk about this week. Yeah, I mean, there's so many many other small and and, and trivial things. But the one thing sort of looming over the the film world uh, presently is the Oscars, the 90th annual Academy Awards, which took place just, what, two days ago now? Yeah, two days ago. Yeah, Sunday night, wasn't it? Um, And we've had a chance to catch up with them. I'm sure you probably have at least seen the results. And we just wanted to talk a little bit about how the night went down and who won and who lost and and what we take from it. First of all, Paul, have you seen the ceremony in its four-hour quote-unquote glory? No. No, no. I, I don't really think you've missed out too much there. No, I mean, I like Jimmy Kimmel enough. I, like, I say enough, I like Jimmy Kimmel a lot, to be fair. But I, I've always found the, the ceremony itself to be a little bit self-aggrandising and just 
it's a bit. I mean, a little bit it. is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> to be Let, fair, yeah. Let's be honest. It's, 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 this, at times, it's very cringeworthy. I don't know if you're aware, um, but this, this year's uh, theme was dreams, and at one point we had, I think it was a double round of applause that went on for a long time, and the audience was applauding the concept of dreams. Like that's where we're at wow, with, okay. the, with the Oscars at this point. But yeah, yeah so, on the Jimmy Kimmel thing, like opening monologue that he had to, to open up this show I thought actually was really really good and it made me feel quite hopeful about the he even made a joke about like how the ceremony's too long having done that the ceremony obviously was too long um, so yeah he did a good job to start with having sat through the ceremony myself I don't know that all of his material worked or was his best written material mm. going down the line and some of the highlights or some of the um Levity that was brought to a fairly stodgy ceremony was from some of the hosts, some of the presenters, um, in particular Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph, uh, Lupita Nyongo and Kamel Njani, people that you would expect to enjoy yeah. listening to for a little bit of time and then they, you know, make their way off the stage. In terms of the actual results though, Paul, that's what we've really got to get into. First off from the top, maybe best picture. Best picture uh, was The Shape of Water, um, mm. which I think, and I might correct me if I'm wrong, I think I called it last week being that, so I'm quite proud of that prediction. Um, and yeah, I mean, for me, out of the Oscar, out of the, the films nominated for Best Picture, I can, I've been thinking about this as the week's gone on, probably comfortably say it is my favourite of those nominees. So um, yeah, I'm very happy with that, to be honest. Um, and also for me, it, I, I just feel very happy for Del Toro that he's finally won an Oscar really because he's one of the hardest working directors I would say in Hollywood um, and the amount of projects that he's kind of started and not managed to finish because funding's run out and this kind of thing you, you, like with the, the situation with the Hobbit films which he never got to make in the end like some of and I think not in the mount, some mountains of madness I think he's been trying to make for many many years and but, that's never happened but are you so. though conversely disappointed that he made The Shape of Water instead of making Pacific Rim 2 and had to decide to leave that particular franchise because I know you're a bit of an advocate of the first film or do you think it was worth it given that he's been garlanded with Oscars all over the shop now I think The Shape of Water for me would probably be better than Pacific Rim 2 yeah. um, <laughs> not not enough fish sex in the Pacific no, Rim series I, I would so, say um, but no I, I'm, I'm pleased I'm pleased that um Shape of War 1, I'm very pleased with Del Toro for the reasons I've just said. I think he's a very talented filmmaker and I think it would mean a lot to him to win. Uh, and he has done, so I think that's great and I think there's a lot to like. I certainly like the film more than you, but I think there's a lot to like about The Shape of Water. Yeah, I think uh, there is deserving too. deserving I mean, winner in my book. But. Yeah, we, we, we've obviously gone over it on the show. I mean, I, I like the movie. I don't think it's really close to the best of Guillermo del Toro, perhaps, uh, as, a, as a film, uh, you know, as a whole. Um, and I would say... To, for my money this year Phantom Thread was the best movie but you know I can't be mad at this winning the award I mean goodness knows we have had worst best picture wins yes, in the crash. past yeah Paul Haggis <laughs> we are looking at you sir uh, along with David David Cronenberg obviously looking at you as well um, in so much as he just stole the title of his one of his films yeah um what else? Gary Oldman, I think you, we've talked about enough, Paul. We knew he was going to win Best Actor, and he did. You've already said that you didn't think the film was up to too much, but obviously the performance, a lot of prosthetics, a lot of uh, uh, craft went into that Winston Churchill uh, portrayal. No surprise there, right? No. You can probably skip yeah. over that one. Yeah. Um, Frances McDormand, again, hot favourite, took away uh, the Best Actress I award. I think probably deservedly so on this one. I don't have any, I don't yeah. have any issues with, with her getting the prize great, for this. Great it was speech the best thing. Well. Her performance was the best thing about Three Billboards. Great speech. Um, and, and like, just 
great to have uh, this character actress in Frances McDormand like getting a bit of the spotlight and a bit of stage time and a bit of time to just like speak her mind and and, and sort of reveal all the character that she has in front of that kind of crowd as well so yeah I can't be mad at that one either and I don't like that movie a great deal but I think you're right I think she's really fantastic in yeah. it so, so well well deserved for her Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards has also won a, an award here Best Supporting Actor but the, No it should have been Willem Dafoe for Sam Rockwell's fine I'm, I'm a Sam Rockwell fan I think we were talking about this off air as well I've always liked him but just for me the William Defoe's character in Florida Project was superb and it's for me it's the best Defoe performance I've seen in quite a few years but then maybe in um, my sort of now emerging theme of like I can't be mad at that you can't really be mad at Sam Rockwell now walking around as an Oscar winning actor because no, he's no. the kind of guy that like whenever you see him, his name attached to a project you think like oh I'm interested enough to watch that thing there's even this movie I don't know if you've seen it called uh, Miss I think it's called Mr. Right with Anna Kendrick and it's about like a relationship between a, a sort of naive girl and a hitman oh yeah I've it's seen really that good. Yeah, yeah. it's like this kind of like this okay. little thing that's just in the, the corner of some streaming site or whatever but really, really good and again a lot of that down to the strength of Sam Rockwell's performance so I'm glad that he got an award any, anyway but yeah maybe you're right about uh, William Dafoe Alison Janney uh, we were fairly hot on the idea yep. of her winning Best Supporting Actress I think that's pretty well deserved it's a strong, it was a strong category that one I really think. strong but still yeah. I think for me Alison Janney does deserve it I think her, she makes Itonia I think well uh, both both so. uh, Laurie Metcalf and Leslie Manville were fantastic in uh, Lady Bird and Phantom Thread respectively but again can't be mad at Alison Janney and another no. character actress who's sort of not been in the shadows but certainly hasn't been in the spotlight to no. anything like the degree she is now so cool to see her I'd say there's probably a number of people possibly even discovering her as an actress for for, for the first time to be fair because I don't yeah. think she's been in um I don't think she has done a lot in the certainly in the public eye probably since West Wing really is probably the main thing yeah it's probably what she was best known for before this yeah uh, Call Me By Your Name which I'm in the minority here I think I'm the one who hasn't seen this right you are yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, to my eternal discredit but yeah uh, Call Me By Your Name picked up uh, best writing for an adapted screenplay um, what else have we got worth talking about well of course Guillermo del Toro best director as well as best picture yeah I mean, I'm with you, Paul, in so much as he's a great filmmaker. I mean, what what can I say? Yeah, it's not Paul Haggis, so we're, we're okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Fantastic Woman, I don't think we've seen. This was Best Foreign Language No, film. I don't think it's come to the shores. I thought it was yet. streaming, but I looked oh, yesterday okay. and, it, and it isn't. So oh, okay. yeah, I must have dreamed that, I guess. Um, Roger Deakins, 14th nomination. He finally wins yes, Best Cinematography did. for yes, Blade Runner 2049. And it's nice to see Blade Runner 2049 yeah, get... Uh, an Oscar, which is good to know. Did it pick up picked up something else as well, didn't it? I think uh, it may well have done. I'd have to go down. I think a, a smaller technical award, perhaps. Uh, visual effects, best visual effects. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Dunkirk picked up a couple of sound awards. Oh, did it? Um, sound editing and mixing, I think. And uh, um, Coco won uh, best animated film. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Coco is just... very good. Uh, Best original song as well went to Coco for Remember Me, which is uh, Gail Garcia Bernal, who actually performed it at the ceremony as well, which was kind that of That would cool. have been quite cool. Guy think, does yeah. everything. Like, yeah. He's an actor of some repute. He's a filmmaker. He's a film producer. And now apparently he's a singer of best original <laughs> songs. Kobe Bryant <laughs> won an Oscar, by the way, you guys, uh, for uh, best short animated yes, film. Best animated I, short, I think yeah. that, that is correct. 
Um, anything else? Jordan Peele for Best Original Screenplay over Greta Gerwig, who I thought was not the favourite, but kind of my favourite to mm. win that award. But again, but again, Jordan you Peele, can't really be angry with either Greta Gerwig or Jordan Peele. Absolutely not. Man. So. And if you go back um, like a, a year or two, where we were talking all the time about Key and Peele, yeah. to think that guy's going to be, be an Oscar winner yeah. in just just That's you know, I think that I think. You know, while some people might be unhappy that Get Out didn't get more awards, I think the fact that Jordan Peele on his first feature uh, is now an Oscar winner is, you know, is, says a lot for the man's the man's future career. To be honest, so bit, bit I don't think you one, need to be concerned. Bit of an odd one, Paul, that we've talked about to just maybe round this out. Um, best feature documentary went to uh, Brian Fogel um, and his co filmmakers for the documentary Icarus, which was uh, funded, I believe, or at least bought by Netflix about the Russian Olympic doping scandal, a film that we've both seen, a story that we're both, I think, interested in, not a particularly good documentary. No, I don't know what the hell... Genuinely, this is the... Of all the results I'm upset with, it's probably this one. It felt a bit political, this one. Yeah, it just... Yeah, I don't know. I just... I thought the... The the topic was was fairly interesting. I'm not I'm not particularly into sports, but in any way, but I still found the the topic of the, the kind of the Russian doping scandal quite interesting anyway. Um, but the film just isn't that effective as a documentary. It, it gets a little bit boring, to be honest, by about uh, about halfway through. And I just think it's for me, it was a very average piece of filmmaking. Well, well and even sort of um, rudimentary parts of the filmmaking that that exist in that documentary, like the sort of graphics they use to explain to you how. Um, the uh, like they treat trick the system, you know, to like dope athletes by moving uh, samples from one yeah. building to another and stuff. Seemed to me fairly like run of the mill and like you know, there's documentaries like Bigger, Stronger, Faster about doping, which yes, maybe aren't quite as good as Icarus in terms of the overall filmmaking, but don't feel a long way short. And no one was talking about a film like that winning an Oscar, so it yeah, felt like a bit of an odd one, particularly given some of the other nominations that seem to have. Well, have you seen? You've probably seen more of the other nominations I don't have the whole list in in front of me but yeah I remember as I was watching the ceremony just thinking like the one or two other ones that I'd had seen maybe just yeah were a little bit more interesting but maybe it is a sort of political choice I don't know and like I say the the guy struck absolute documentary gold because the original premise is that he's just testing basically steroids on himself yeah to see if he can improve his performance exactly as like a sort of pro amateur-ish cyclist and then is referred and referred and referred and eventually is referred to this guy and as he's dealing with the guy who was at the head of that doping scandal the doping scandal itself hits and they've already started making a documentary the funny thing about it is though when they accepted the award he said I dedicate this award to the whistleblower Um, I wish I had his name in my mind I don't but the guy at the head of the Russian doping scandal it's like yeah he is a whistleblower but he was also entirely (laughs) complicit in years worth of doping so that was a strange one but all in all not bad not the ceremony so much the ceremony I think tailed off and went on too long but in terms of the awards given we're fairly happy I'm pretty happy and you know there was they did preach a message of inclusivity this this year which is which is great and if you think about if you actually think about The Shape of Water I mean it's got a made by a Mexican director uh, star with a mute lead character who has a black best friend uh, and the villain is an evil white man so you know and a lot of I've heard a lot of people say oh it's not as inclusive as Get Out well actually from from my perspective it is absolutely as inclusive well, as Get Out it, it allows so, for, for fish that want to fuck human women as well yeah, so well, yes. that's, that's inclusive <laughs> I mean yeah. all we're saying is give fish a chance so I think no I think I'm generally I'd say I'm I'm 
happier than I normally am with the Oscar results this year. I think Throwaway Project should have got more recognition, and I think Blade Runner 2049 should have got more recognition. But apart from that, pretty much happy. Yeah, Johnny Greenwood needs to win an Oscar as well, by yes. the way, because the, the stuff he's doing with scores, and this time it was Phantom Thread, is, is fantastic, and, and it's such a shame. I mean, he was robbed with There Will Be Blood because yeah. of the technicality of the way that that score came to be, but like... Yeah, the guy is a is a powerhouse at this point. So um, yeah, let's hope for more in the future. But I think that basically rounds us up on the Oscars this year. Maybe we'll come back to it in the future if anything it crops up in the news cycle. But for now, we'll be back in just a moment with our next section, which is known as popcorn movies. So we are back with popcorn movies. Uh, I'm keen to jump in. Uh, Pete, if it, for there, what? Pete, first, what? If that's all right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Jump in with, with both feet. Yeah, yeah, apparently, yeah. Over yeah, if I can, if I can regain the ability to speak, that would be fantastic. What, what have you been watching, uh, Paul? Actually, I picked up, and uh, it probably didn't win any Oscars at the time, uh, but maybe it should have done. Um, Beethoven, Pete, one of my childhood <laughs> favourites. Yeah, robbed at the Oscars. Yeah, one of my certainly one of my childhood favourites uh, from 1992, directed by Brian Levant. Same, same age as me. Um, well, Beethoven. <laughs> yes. The dog's the same age as you. No, the film is. Oh, all right, grumpy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Beethoven, uh, which if you if you aren't familiar with the story, uh, is basically about Beethoven, who is a a lovable St Bernard dog who just walks into a, a family house uh, and gets adopted by the family. But uh, some evil nerderwells, shall we say, um, decide to try and kidnap Beethoven, or do kidnap Beethoven, and the family have to try and get him back. Um, I'm going to struggle to say a lot about this film, to be honest, because you can probably tell from the from the, the premise I've set up, it's quite basic. Uh, but it, it holds up pretty well. The cast, Stanley, there's an early Stanley Tucci performance here, uh, with Oliver Platt as like two bumbling goons, so that's quite entertaining. David Duchovny rolls up as like this this evil evil businessman type, mm. uh, which, which again is quite entertaining. The, the film is fun enough. It rattles along. At, it does rattle along. Why at good do pace. the ne'er do wells um, want Beethoven? Now this this is the thing that I'd f- I had somehow forgotten all about why they wanted Beethoven, and this is incredible. And I would argue too dark for a film of this nature, and I can see why it slipped my mind because I probably removed it from my memory deliberately. So they actually are kidnapping the the lovable St Bernard Beethoven because they want to test ammunition on a large mammal skull. So, so genuinely, they're, they're kidnapping the dog because they want to shoot it with like a, a stub nosed bullet with a like a, a handgun, testing a new handgun bullet on it, which I think is arguably a little bit dark for this this kind of material, um, and certainly a little bit bizarre. But it's it, it aside from that weirdness, it actually it barrels along at a fair old pace, um, and that you could do a lot worse than this as a sort of family Saturday afternoon fun film, really. So, so. in traditional Paul Anderson style, are we now going to get all of the Beethoven sequels reviewed week on? week from here on um, I've, I've currently only got Beethoven second on Blu-ray but there is a box set out known as the Pooch Pack um, <laughs> and that, that contains I think I think I think that contains Beethoven 1 through to 5 or 6 I think and there might There's be others but I think my, my wife bless her is a purist on these she'll only watch the Beethoven films that have got the original dog in oh, really? uh, right. so I'm not, sure, I'm not sure you can necessarily tell uh, but I, obviously if she listens to this she'd, she'd be most upset so yes you can definitely tell so I'll probably be sticking the ones with the original star okay that's something to look forward to um, taking a bit of a, 
a turn away from, from the, the pooch the pack. Of, <laughs> the pooch pack. Uh, my first popcorn movie of the week is uh, a film called A Decent Woman. Um, this is from director Lucas Valenta Rinna, and it was released in 2016, although I've caught up with it, as I do a lot of these popcorn films at this point, through the movie streaming service that we seem to be sort of championing. They're not paying us, but if they want to, they can. Um, this one deals with a woman uh, at the beginning of the movie who is being interviewed for a job working as a maid for a well-to-do, very wealthy family in a gated community just on the outskirts of Buenos Aires in Argentina. She takes on this role because she's basically a, a, a bit of a loose end for a steady income. Once she gets into this job, she is less than satisfied with being, you know, a, a at the whim of people with a lot more money than sort of good good manners, I suppose. And she finds a herself... Like a bit like Jack. What? <laughs> she, I missed Jack that. Jack is one of the politest men who's ever produced <laughs> yeah. this show. Top two. Never uh, mind, Jack. But yeah, she, she finds herself wandering around the grounds and stumbles across a nudist colony that exists the other side of the electric fence, which is intended to keep people out of that that area because of course in this part of the world there is quite a lot of um, crime and uh, it's maybe there are poorer areas around where crime is, is prevalent the film is interesting because it basically deals with who it is who's being kept out is it that the outside world and the nudist colony who are all sort of apparently liberated are being kept out of the gated community of people living in this sort of pleasantville stepford wives ideal society or is it in fact those liberated people who are being kept free of the infractions and interference of moneyed upper middle class folk. The film is interesting. Um, the direction as well is fairly bracing. I was going to love this movie till about halfway through and then I feel like it loses a bit of steam because it doesn't quite know how much to get its teeth into what is obviously a fairly tight social satire. Yeah. Um, there was still enough to like in it. I haven't seen that many movies from Argentina specifically, so I would recommend it. And I think the central performance, I'm just going to uh, check the name of this actress. The central performance is from an actor called uh, Irida Mockert, um, was pretty compelling considering that we spend the majority of the runtime with this character. So yeah, that one is called A Decent Woman and it's a bit of a social satire from Argentina. Uh, and it's subtitled, uh, sorry, not subtitled, Spanish titled Los Decentes, which I imagine means the decent, which kind of is one of those translations where you think, well, that means something quite different from a decent yeah. woman. Yeah. Like it <laughs> yeah, excuse so, the, yeah. the meaning yeah. of, of, of the titling of the film. But anyway, yeah, check it out uh, if you're interested. It came out in 2016. Paul, what was your second uh, So yes, yeah, so it, it feels like I've gone like the, my inner child is, is taking in the podcast today so my second choice is I finally caught up with the Shaun the Sheep movie from 2015 um, which is directed by is it Mark Burton my handwriting is atrociously almost unreadable to be fair and Richard Storak I think uh, but it's the Ardman animation it's the Ardman Studios production based on the Shaun the Sheep character from the Wallace and Gromit films um, to be honest it re after after the massive massive disappointment of Early Man um, watching Shaun the Sheep re reassured me of what Ardman are actually capable of reassured you reassured me oh, oh like nice it. it's good it's good <laughs> so uh, no I, I genuinely really really like this film it's um it's a most uh, pretty much a silent film as well which keeps things which keeps things interesting but the um the level of creativity and just the sense of fun 
um, that Sean the Sheep brings to the screen is fantastic. And again, that the stop motion animation is is they are probably second to none, to be honest. And I think it's it's stuff like this where you think actually this is why they might, this is why they they are, they can play in the same leagues as Pixar when they're performing. Um, really, really well, and Sean the Sheep is a, is a prime example of what they can do when they're when they're working well. And it's I think it's just just about an hour and twenty or something as well, so it doesn't outstay its welcome in terms of running time. And it's just uh, incredibly entertaining and very creative from start to finish. It's a it's a joy, I would say. Uh, on next week's show, Paul reviews uh, Paw Patrol all seasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my second uh, Pogo movie for this week. Is, uh, is, is maybe a strange choice. I have gone for uh, Bahubali, The Beginning. This is, Paul, uh, apparently the number one biggest grossing Tagula film at the box office, which is uh, films in the Tamil language. It's also the third largest grossing... Did you in- watch this on movie? ...Indian film of all time. No, I did not. Oh, OK. <laughs> the reason I've come to this film is basically uh, shouts out to um, David Ehrlich and the team that make the podcast Fight in the War Room. It's like this one, just not quite as good um they did a thing where they were sort of sent uh, listener requests for films that they might not have picked up on or might not have seen and one of them that came up was Bahubali at the beginning it happens that it's available on the Netflix streaming service at the moment and then the second part Paul Bahubali the conclusion also there now I will warn listeners up front both of these movies are over two and a half hours long and they are entirely in either Tamil or Hindi you know, pick, pick your pick your favourite there. I went for the original Tamil because you know I've I've learned a few phrases. Um, Have you? No, no. <laughs> uh, the story, Paul, is absolutely bonkers. But to set up very briefly, starts with a lady who fights off some attackers at the bottom of a waterfall, then saves a baby by holding it above the water as she dies and drowns and drifts off in the water. The baby is picked up by a a group who see these events occur from a distance. And that baby is then raised as a foundling, but he's obsessed with the idea of climbing the waterfall to find what is up there in the heavens is that sort of pursuit is made even more compelling for this young child uh, the, the character is called Shivudu or Shiva uh, you can see the connection with the, the Buddhist yeah. religion uh, made even more compelling because a mask falls down the waterfall and on this mask is the visage of a beautiful woman so this character as he grows into a young man and then a sort of a younger middle aged man wants to find out who this woman is he eventually ascends the waterfall not unlike Batman in one of the Nolan movies so I mean is this is this as silly as it sounds or does it take itself quite seriously it's nuts Paul it's nuts I mean take for example uh, an early scene in which Shivu is trying to help his mother who is tasked with uh, putting pails of water over the head of an idol in order to give uh, praise to the gods and she has to do I think 5,000 pails or something like that but he comes up with the idea of lifting up this um, idol because he's got super strength apparently taking it over to the waterfall so that it is constantly being showered with water therefore very much pleasing the gods <laughs> at which point he breaks into a victory dance this is the kind of movie it we're watching. It sounds quite Bollywood like, to be it, honest. It, I know it's, it's, it's not a, a Bollywood movie, movie, but it's got, yeah, there are dance numbers. There's right. a, a kind of sword flirtation stripping sequence between uh, two of the characters here. So it's kind of Bollywood in all but location. Really, it, the it. it is. I mean, there's like a narrative thrust that kind of takes this weird turn at some point and it turns into a, a flashback that lasts about 40 minutes. <laughs> 
Um, there's a giant battle, and it's almost as if you're watching this Tamil movie from a guy who's been watching, like, Lord of the Rings for about 15 years straight, <laughs> and then he's like, I'm going to try and do that on the money that I have. Sometimes the thing looks stunning. Sometimes it looks ludicrous. Yeah. And last point on this one, Paul, I don't know if you're aware, but... In Indian movies, I've learned, when there are animals in peril who are created, you know, by uh, computers as CGI creatures, they have to put CGI in capital text in the bottom, at the bottom of the screen. To I was not aware move. of that. Yeah. That's quite, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> bonkers. Strange, bonkers. Yeah. Glad I watched it. I'm definitely going to watch the conclusion. I'm going to invest it over five hours of my life in the Bahubali series. But, um, yeah, if any of that sounds even vaguely interesting, then give it a look because it's on Netflix at the moment. Um, we should probably get out of this section, but in a moment we'll be back with the next part of The Strangers Podcast, which is Coming Attractions. So, back we are. Um, yeah, so my first pick this week, well, my only pick, well, my one pick of trailers this week that I'm quite excited about. Um, I've kind of come out of my self-enforced Star Wars Exile now. I played Star Wars Battlefront again today, which is the first time I've played it since uh, my n- probably now renowned disappointment with The Last Jedi and the, based, based on my rant on the Christmas special. Uh, and I've watched the trailer for Solo, a Star Wars story, which is Oh, the... that's what Solo is. Yes. Okay, I'm with yeah. you now. Yeah. So, yeah, so it is the uh, standalone Han Solo Origins movie starring Elden... Eld... What's his name again? Oh, Han Solo what? No, not Ansel. Alden. Alden. Yeah. Alden. Alden. I'll look this up. Paul, start yeah, talking yeah, about sorry, why yeah, you want to see complete, this movie. I've had a complete brain fart. I've completely <laughs> forgotten the guy's name. So yes, it's an origin. It's the um, much troubled origin story um, that Phil Lord and Kristen Miller were originally directing, um, and now it has been handed over to Ron Howard. Um, we got a trailer, I think, a couple of months ago. Just that it's taken me quite a while to get around to watching it for for the Last Jedi reasons. Um, who else have we got here? We've got I've completely forgot everyone's got, uh, name. Donald Donald Help Glover. me out here, Jack. Donald Glover. Donald Glover is a young Lando Calrissian, yeah, which is very um, exciting. Queen Amelia, of Dragons. Amelia, Amelia Clark. Clark. Alden Ehrenreich is the yes, person who was in about. the Coen Brothers film about the Hollywood and Russians and things. I'm doing well at this today. Yeah. <laughs> what the uh, hell film is that? Yes. Uh, Woody Harrelson's in it as well. <laughs> yeah, Woody Harrelson's in it. Um, so actually, but but going back to the trailer, the trailer actually looks like it would be good Hail fun. Caesar. Paul. Hail Caesar is the other film I'm thinking of. Thank you. I'm going to be fired, I think, at this rate. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yes. So the film actually, it's got it's got a, a quite a good look to it, I think. Uh, I'm quite looking forward to it, despite the fact that Ron Howard stepped in at the last minute. That's not anything necessarily against Ron Howard. It's just that when films change directors, it doesn't always come out too well. I think, actually, the trailer looks better than I'd expected it to be. There's been some questions over the lead's ability, acting ability, and there's been some rumours that acting coaches have been drafted in and that Disney aren't happy with the end result. He seems okay in this trailer to me. I don't think they show a massive amount of him, which is quite interesting, so maybe the concerns are founded, but certainly Oh, he's the, he's the American actor in yeah. Hail Caesar with the wood that it were so simple. Yes. Yeah, okay, I'm with you now. Yeah, yeah. yeah like you, I completely yeah. forgot who that guy was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, quietly excited about this one, I think. Uh, Pete, what have you got? Well, quietly excited is probably not quite the the description that I'd give for my pick, but I'm going to go with uh, a film that comes out actually this coming Friday, which is the new one written and directed by the beleaguered uh, film director Woody Allen. Uh, This one's called Wonder Wheel. Um, As many of you may know, Woody Allen throws out a film pretty much every single year. Um, This one, to me, is interesting. I mean... 
I'm I think in the minority of people who thinks that everything Woody Allen puts out is still interesting, even though a lot of it leaves me fairly disappointed. Yeah. Um, yeah, like from Rome with Love or whatever that I talked about not long ago. This one has in it one of my favourite sort of um, underappreciated young actresses, which is uh, Juno Temple. Also in this, Justin Timberlake, which seems an odd choice for a Woody Allen film, but we'll see. Uh, Jim Belushi uh, stars so in... Sounds like he might be running out of people that want to work with this yeah. one. Well, he's worked with yeah. everyone. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, yeah. when you put out a film a year and you put in those films... I mean, if you went through Woody Allen's last, like, ten movies, you're covering the majority mm. of well-known stars in, in Hollywood at this point. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. The critical response so far has been um, I lukewarm, let's say. Lukewarm, yeah, yeah f- 45 on Metacritic at the moment from a possible 100 points. Uh, we'll see, but it is getting a general release. We're getting it here and it is out on Friday. So that one is Wonder Wheel. I mean, the story, as much as it matters, um, on Coney Island in the 1950s, a lifeguard tells the story of a middle-aged carousel operative of course he does. Uh, his beleaguered <laughs> wife and the visitor who turns their lives upside down. Uh, I imagine a lot of very uh, sort of stagey, overly written uh, scenes, but we'll see. Yeah, I still like Woody Allen. You know, uh, hate me for it if you want to, but that one is out, uh, like I say, on Friday. We should get out of this section, I think, and come back refreshed yes. for a run of yes. our feature reviews. So our feature reviews this week will be reviews of Red Sparrow from Francis Lawrence and Game Night from John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstone. I think I've got written down there as his name, but again, my handwriting is terrible. But we will be back after this with our feature reviews. So, first up this week, a film that I noted was uh, not one of my most anticipated films of the year, but I did do a coming attractions for it because, Paul, I think you would agree it had a fantastic trailer. This is Red Sparrow. It's one of the best trailers I've seen in a number of years, I think, personally. I yeah, think the trailer now, was incredible. Just to jog people's memory or, or tell you for the first time if you didn't catch that episode, the reason that I was excited about this movie, or the reasons, uh, number really, Jennifer Lawrence in a lead role that looked like it had a bit of edge. Not so much the other Lawrence, Francis Lawrence, the director that she's worked with now, I think, four movies in a row, for him anyway, mm. uh, from three Hunger Games movies as well. But one of my very favourite actresses of probably my entire life, Charlotte Rampling, and then uh, Jeremy Irons as well in this one. It Joel looked, Edgerton's in this as well. And Joel Edgerton's in it that we both like, or we all like, I think. So this seemed to be a fairly uh, fun quite dark kind of edgy spy thriller that would just like have enough bang to make well in my case a trip to the IMAX worthwhile let alone a trip to the cinema with the extra cost that's obviously incurred there we'll get into what we thought of the film in just a moment but before we do let's hear a bit of a clip from this day forward you will become sparrows weapons in a global struggle for power Every human being is a puzzle of need. You must learn to intuit what is missing, become the missing piece, and they will give you anything. Take off your clothes. Your body belongs to the state. Since your birth, the state nourished it. Now the state asks something in return. 
So, yeah, in that clip, um, it's your favourite Pete, Charlotte Rampling there. Um, Rampo. Basically, Rampo. I love that you call it Rampo. Uh, so there, Rampo is explaining to the new recruits of the, the, the titular Sparrows um, about how basically they owe everything to Russia and they will basically be used as kind of, not sex slaves, do you think? Kind of all sorts. Sex operatives. Yeah, sex <laughs> operatives, I yeah. suppose, is the best way to, because yeah, that's a good way to describe when, it. When reeling off members of the cast and the director here, what I didn't say is that we're, uh, our central character, played by um, Jennifer Lawrence, plays this sort of prima ballerina who early in the movie, uh, rather awkwardly, because I know that she spent three or four months training, but it seems very apparent that Jennifer Lawrence isn't naturally a ballerina, and that's no slight on her, it's not really her job. Uh, She plays this prima ballerina called Dominika Egorova, a Russian uh, ballerina, who suffers an injury which may or may not have been deliberately inflicted. I think it was, right? I don't think that's a great spoiler. Mm. Um, And she is then approached kind of by her uncle, right, played by Matthias Schoenartz, that I haven't mentioned up to this point, to be involved in this state-funded project of recruiting, training, um, perfecting, uh, stripping the soul from, focusing the minds of a group of people who will be called the Sparrows, as you've just explained, Paul, who will then go out into the world and elicit information from particular targets using everything in their mental and particularly phys- physical uh, sort of capabilities to do that and central to that it seems early on is their sex appeal and their ability to manipulate the sexuality of particularly older or aging men uh am i right I correct yeah it's pretty, <laughs> it up pretty, pretty well, accurate honest, right? yeah yeah um in terms of it's a difficult film to like to be honest i mean i I wanted to enjoy it going into it, and I think I, I, I'm all for sort of conspiracy thrillers and that kind of thing, and that's great. Um, and I do normally like those kind of films, but for me, this kind of fell flat at that. And I, don't, I think that the kind of the, the 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 meat the meat on the plate, for whatever <laughs> description we're talking about, Red Sparrow, um, just wasn't really there for me. Just the, the story, I don't think was engaged enough or or quite as clever as the film thought it was to be honest and then couple that with the fact that you've got these um quite in places very violent and quite sexually explicit scenes that for me i actually for the first time in a long time i felt quite uncomfortable with these scenes being present here yeah it was Um, weird wasn't it paul in a film that's directed by uh, francis lawrence that we know primarily from the hunger games you know films which you know like them or not uh, are a particular type of movie for a particular audience um, a lot of that is that sort of young adult space, right? YA yeah. literature d- d- adapted for the screen. Uh, then, like, to be in a film like that and for it to bring to mind things like uh, f- the French New Extremity, the films like uh, Martyrs or uh, yeah. the, the, the Lanteria that I was talking about yesterday when, when we were off mic, um, and even things like like Salo or uh, the 180 Days of Solomon, 120 Days of Solomon, yeah. like things like that yeah. come to mind. And it's not because this film is anywhere near that space in terms of the actual extremity on screen, but it seems like this film wants to have it both ways. It wants to be this sort of mainstream uh, popularist piece of entertainment, but then it's got in it all these like. Um, genre-specific and sort of exploitation-specific sequences that feel, like you're saying, Paul, a little bit of an uncomfortable match. They they don't work. And I I don't have, as we've discussed many times on the podcast, I'm actually quite a big fan of exploitation films, so it's not that I have an issue with sex and violence on screen. I don't at all. Um, 
However, here, it just feels that it was put in to make this film seem edgier than it actually is. It's like, oh, look, here's, here's Red Sparrow from the director of a lot of the Hunger Games movies. I think he did Constantine and uh, um, that awful Will Smith thing where he's the last man in New York. I've completely forgotten the name of it now, but regardless. Um, and it just feels to me that it was almost a desperate... They, they'd finished the film and then they went... I am legend. Yeah, I am legend, that's yeah. it. Um, it, just, it just felt like they finished the film and went, oh shit, it's not very good, what can we do? Uh, bang loads of sex and violence in it. And it just comes across as really quite actually very sexist and just completely unnecessary and just awkward, to be honest. Well, an interesting, Paul, that Jennifer Lawrence bounces straight from, you know, having a baby torn in half and, and being beaten down by an angry mob yeah. in Mother to the, this film where she's sort of bound up and sprayed with cold water and tortured in sort of horrible ways. And, um, and I'm not for a second suggesting that sort of she has been manipulated into this because I think Jennifer Lawrence is a pretty savvy, you know, switched on young woman. But at the same time, um, I mean, as much as her box office is probably bulletproof at this point and she'll go on to, you know, make however many millions of dollars for any particular studio with her next project it it feels like a strange time in her career going from that yeah movie to, to this one. i don't re- i don't think it was suited suitable for her as an actress well rooney mara was linked with this yeah, with okay. david fincher as director a while back and mm. obviously then the girl with the dragon tattoo remake was made with, with those with that pairing uh, that seems to me like it would have been a better movie darren aronofsky was linked with this i mean i did not like mother so maybe i you know tentatively would say that that would also be a better movie because i think it's a definitely a better filmmaker than Francis Lawrence but yeah I mean you've seen this as well Jack yes yeah, did, did, did any of it because I think you liked it from what we've talked about off mic a little bit more than Paul and I did was there anything in particular that stood out like that was redeeming or that was a bit more positive that we could say I, I think let's start with a negative first and then go into a positive really but I think the consistency of it didn't really work for me. It's too long. There well. was, there, I think it was, it was really two long. hours, Actually, 20 minutes. Or yeah, something it just like seemed that. to go on for. And ever. there were some like on screen moments where I thought, whoa, okay, that's a little bit too much. Wasn't really expecting that, especially, you know, you probably know the scene I'm talking about. Um, and for me, I just. The skin peeling the skin, scene. Yeah, exactly. What? That's what I'm talking what about. What was that? that, that, that was, yeah. just, what it was, was like that? something yeah. from like a Park Chan movie. That it was, yeah. It just doesn't work. for too long. I think they dragged just didn't that need to, too long. For me, it just need, need, didn't need to be their full stop. I just don't understand what you've got. The, the, the central... The film itself should have been interesting enough as an espionage thriller to, yeah. to not need these moments of there extreme was, violence. There was, there, was some, there was a good twist at the end, which I won't obviously spoil. And I think that, for me, was, was probably the most positive thing about this film. Yeah, you see, I, uh, that's interesting. Cause we're obviously, on this show, we take it seriously. We're not going to spoil the movie. And I won't do that now. But I'm with you, Jack, except for the fact that, and I don't know what you think, I haven't asked you about this, Paul, but like, except for the fact that this film felt in its in its last act like it was going like um, old Kansas City Shuffle, like Lucky Number 11, where it was like, yeah. oh, misdirect, 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 misdirect. And it's like, oh, come on. Even to, up to and including, again, I've got to be careful picking my words here, but the gun sight part? yes. And a particular shot that was included yeah. there, where I thought, well, that's just cheap. Like, you've yeah. misdirected in the cheapest possible way. So, I'm with you that it was kind of a cool twist, but I was getting twist fatigue by the time this thing eventually came to sure. an end yeah. because of it was going left and right all over the place. And it, then it becomes less intriguing and just a bit more, more tiring uh, from my point of view. Yeah, I think it was, you know, 
it was a satisfactory film. It wasn't bad to watch, but I think you know there were things. I think you definitely enjoyed it more than us. I think. Yeah, if, yeah. You, if you cut like forty-five minutes off it, sure. I might be more in agreement. I think. Yeah, there we go. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it more than we did. But yeah, I didn't go much on it, and especially the trailer was so good as well. Was it just, was? Yeah. Well, it was lean though. The trailer was like yeah. this lean two-minute thing. I mean, in the trailer, one of the things that stood out for maybe not the most intellectual of reasons was the fact that. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence had on again an absolutely jaw-dropping swimsuit and there were two sequences where (laughs) she was at the swimming pool in this movie which in total last about 38 seconds no relevant relevant it's like yeah put put your leading lady in the amazing swimsuit she looks great all power to her but at the same time it didn't really advance the plot in any significant way and and that's what we've got I don't want to get to the end of this review uh, guys without just talking for a second about accents. Uh, yes, we were okay. going to talk um, about Jennifer Lawrence's so, accent. So Jennifer Lawrence obviously gives it her best shot. At, at, you know, she's, I think, from Kentucky, perhaps, in, in the southern states of America, anyway. And here she's Russian. I don't know that she looks particularly Russian, but she certainly doesn't sound consistently Russian in the movie. But just to note, the Russian actors, or the, sorry, the Russian characters in this movie <laughs> are played by American, British, Belgian, Dutch, German and Ukrainian actors. And, Paul, the American leading character, uh, of course, Nate Nash here, the CIA operative, is played by Joel Edgerton, who is an Australian man. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it almost feels like someone could have recruited an actor or actress who actually came from Russia but then the, to play a But the Valkyrie movie. had exactly the same problem, the, yeah. the Brian Sink with Tom Cruise and everyone, supposedly, yeah. and then loads of British actors playing Germans. That you, they didn't... Do, am I being picky? Don't you have the response with a movie like this sometimes where you go like, why would they be speaking in English? Yeah, well, yeah. Not, you, I think, doing, I think but... the idea is that you're supposed to just assume that they're speaking in Russian. I right. think that I think that's the logic. They've already it. translated. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. And I understand yeah. box office, but like, yeah. can we just get a movie where Russian people yeah. speak in Russian and we just yeah. have to do a bit of reading? Yeah. I mean, in I'm terms cool with that. of uh, performances, who do you think was the best? John Ledgerton, I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I, John I'd really like good. him. I'd really rate him as an actor. I think he's good here. I think the material lets him down a little bit, but I think yeah. he is good. And I don't. I've got you know no nothing sort of disrespectful to say about Jennifer Lawrence. I think he, she tries her best, but I don't think this role was necessarily the best fit for her. And I don't know that it was ever going to be okay to hope that she would be able to have a consistent Russian accent for two and a half hours so that's not really her fault I mean I think she's like I said before I think she's a smart actress I think she's a really bright young woman but she's definitely going to do better stuff than this and it seems like maybe the early uh, the early sort of um, review on Jennifer Lawrence was that after Winter's Bone she was someone who would return to sort of edgier material Mm. in time this is not it. I mean, yeah, no, this isn't it. I mean, I suppose that she is kind of... It's a, a brave... It's not like she's choosing... Deliberately choosing crowd pleasers. So I'll give her that much, at least. So she is yeah. kind of eschewing... Eschewing a more obvious career choice. But just, yeah, with this and and Mother, I think, yeah, not necessarily the best choices to further a career. But I don't... I said, I don't think long-term it'll do her any harm. Well, as an and, no, that's a, that's a fantastic point, Paul. Because, like, as much as I think all of us, to a greater or lesser degree, are like, Red Sparrow is not a great movie... I would rather see an actress like Jennifer Lawrence and a star of that magnitude attaching herself and taking a risk with something like this yeah. than doing infinite Hunger Games type movies yeah. for you know the, the best years of her career or at least at this part of her career. So from that point of view, I guess we can defend Red Sparrow. But like Francis Lawrence is not a great filmmaker. This is no. not a great film. And, and I mean, to be fair... 
Not long ago, we reviewed uh, Charlize Theron in Atomic Blonde, and for my money, that's an infinitely more entertaining film than, than this. this one, yeah. So I think of the two, if you're going to pick a, a sort of, you know, a hodgepodge of, of sort of fairly badly written uh, Cold War, Iron Curtain, espionage material from, from Western cinema, probably go for Atomic Blonde <laughs> yeah. over, over this. Uh, right, we'll be back after this with a review of Game Night. So, our second uh, review might take some people by surprise because we're covering a film called Game Night that seemed like this sort of innocuous, throwaway comedy movie that happened to crop up as a preview screening and we thought, you know, not much is going to come of this. And it turns out, Paul, and we'll get into this in a minute, that maybe we were li- a little bit wrong and uh, a little well, bit we talked earlier about Red Sparrow having uh, an incredible trailer. Um, Game Night did not have an incredible trailer. It has trailer. a very the trailer mediocre was, trailer, Paul. I, I, I die, I would say. that I, I just I watched the trailer and thought, there's no way I'm watching it. also that, has so a dreadful no... poster. Yes, it does, truly. <laughs> yes, absolutely <laughs> dreadful poster. You see some dice. Um, yeah, and that's it. You literally so, just see some dice in the words game night. So, set, set this one up. For I'll us set now. it up a little bit. So, it, it, pretty high concept, this movie. Um, in so much as we have a group of friends, at the centre of that group is a couple played by Jason Bateman, who has been in plenty of sort of small and big screen comedies to this point, and we all know from Arrested Development, obviously, originally, and Rachel McAdams, who uh, two here... Two of two originally, I think, are fine for Jason Bateman. But... We all know, <laughs> not, not the uber nerds amongst yeah, us. Yeah. We, the greater we, all know. But yeah, uh, and Rachel McAdams, who has uh, made uh, a fairly good career for herself, playing a lot of uh, sort of romantic leading ladies, uh, amongst other roles... They host a game night at their home. They invite round a, a small group of friends and they're joined in a particular game night by uh, an act, uh, a character, I should say, played by Carl Chandler, Chandler, who is Jason Bateman's sort of fairly brash, um, apparently overachieving brother who um, wheels into the situation, blunders into the situation and kind of like looks down on the game night a bit and promises that he is going to deliver a much better game night. On his game night, he has um, initiated what seems to be a sort of murder mystery, kidnap mystery situation, um, which goes a different way, let's say, than you might expect. Unless I'm mistaken, Jack, I think the clip actually explains what happens. Well, let's let's get to that clip. Let's let him do the talking. (laughs) In the next hour, someone in this room is going to be taken. And it's going to be up to you to find them before they are murdered. Oh, it's a murder mystery party. Not just any murder mystery. I found this company. They do it super real. They use legit actors. You're not going to know what's real and what's fake. Fun. But that's not all. Because whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize. The keys to the stingray. What? Wow. Just the keys. So yeah, that well again that explains the the premise of the film pretty well there to be honest. Um, so you would be forgiven, Pete, I think for for coming up thinking that this is a little bit like the David Fincher film, The Game. In fairness, wouldn't you? Mm. Um, and it pretty much in in a, in a lot of ways it is like that film, but certainly a more a more comedic take on it. 
Um, and based on the fact that the directors previously have made the Horrible Bosses films, which I wasn't a huge fan of, to be honest, uh, my expectation, and I think everyone's expectation, to be honest, certainly in this room, uh, was very low of this film. Um, and what a pleasant surprise it was, Pete. Yeah. A, a, 100%. I, I did not expect to enjoy this in one little bit. And I think you went to the previous screen and I didn't. You came out of it and said, Game Night's actually really good. And I kind of I w- went in and sat down and was like, right... I'm almost going to try not to like this just so I can have an argument with Pete about it. And then within like the first five minutes, I was like, oh, well, wait, I'm laughing. What What's going on here? This is, you know, this is the best I've seen Jason Bateman in, in quite some time uh, in these comedic roles. He's done a few series roles since, which he's okay at. Uh, Rachel McAdams, it's nice to see her doing something, a slightly different role to what she's used to. And she's actually very funny in this. Um... Who else have we got here? Oh, Jesse Plemons. In, Jesse, in the, Plemons, Jesse Plemons is the standout in this thing. This is this like character actor that we've seen all over the place of late. Everything from like, um, oh, what's that movie? Other People, where his his mother's got terminal cancer, which is is harrowing. To much lighter roles, to kind of indie mumbly core stuff. But here he plays this like. <laughs> softly spoken but quietly psychotic neighbour yes. who is intent on being invited to game night even though no one really seems to like him he's also a police officer of some kind who never takes his uniform off who wears his uniform 24-7 doesn't he have like a, oh yeah it's like a little dog yeah. as well which is important <laughs> later on in the film but his line delivery in this thing is worth you know giving it a look alone oh yeah he I is amazing say. he's so funny in this just like socially awkward and at the same time very 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 scary so he's very very good um, Chelsea Peretti's in this as well. Uh, of yeah. course, Jordan Peele's other half. She doesn't have that much screen time, but she's always good value. Also, Sharon Horgan um, from Catastrophe, that, that folks will know as an Irish actress who's kind of big in, in the UK, at least. Uh, she plays one of the friends here who sort of goes along as the date of yeah. one of the people. And, and, is, and it's, is it a date? Is it not a date? Because the guy that she's with is like really sort of cocky, but also a complete moron. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that dynamic, I think, is really well played yeah. as well. So there's like... I think all the dynamics are well played. They're just the cast, the cast are clearly enjoying themselves, but not to, not, not at the expense of the film, which quite often happens with, with these kind of, with this kind of material. Um, there's, the gag rate is good. The gags are generally quite clever. Um, there's, there's one gag in particular, which I, which I wanted to single out is when, um, Someone, one of the characters, trying to ascertain whether I've have slept with a celebrity or not, and I won't, I won't spoil the whole thing. But the response is, when it is, well, she, she says, if you guess which celebrity I've slept with, then you, I will tell you. So he's like, so is, is it a male celebrity over the age of fifty? I think something like that. And she says, yes, it is. And the character's first guess is, is it Tommy Lee Jones? <laughs> which just still makes me chuckle now. Um, so yeah, it's just. It's, it's just very, very funny. As I said, it, it, there are definitely similarities to the game, but actually um, Game Night makes a point of not not overplaying that. And just as when just there's certain things that happen and you think, oh, the game's done this first, it drifts off, it drifts off another direction. So the actual, the actual plot itself, more than just the gags, is actually quite engaging as well. Um, and actually some of, the, some of the car chase scenes, some of the action scenes, I think are pretty well done. It's got kind of a cool, quite of a, 
it's certainly got a, a sense of visual style about it that's normally yeah, lacking in comedies, I think. Yeah, it has. Um, and, like, having just reviewed a movie that goes into, you know, Twist Central towards the end, this <laughs> yeah. thing does some fun stuff with Twist. Yeah. But, like, in just such a more enjoyable way. I understand they're different types of movies, yeah. but, like, the way that this plays with your expectations in its last act is is incredibly enjoyable. And I completely agree with you, Paul. I mean, this was just a massive surprise for me. I was expecting to sort of shrug on my way out and sort of move on with my life. But actually, it's the kind of film I think on word of mouth alone will pick up an audience and hopefully, you know, sort of make... make I hope so, because it, it, deserve, it certainly deserves one. Um, yeah, definitely. So and it turns out Rachel McAdams, uh, I think you've mentioned, but Rachel McAdams is, is more than capable of doing this kind of material, which I wasn't really Yeah, it's not, it's not really a role I've seen... Uh, I've seen her attempt before, to be honest, got sort of broad comedy like this. But yeah, everyone, I think, I would say everyone's very funny in this. There's not really a weak performance in the bunch, to be fair. No, um, and, the, and the dancing around with a with a gun that she thinks is fake, yeah. whilst wearing, like, tight-fitting jeans and high heels. My word. My <laughs> word, sir. Like, The Notebook, you know, was not a film that I uh, ever paid too much attention to, and many of the things from from then till now but yeah Rachel McAdams has got it got it all going on in so many areas <laughs> I think so yeah it was it was really great Jack you haven't seen this yet I don't think no so I think I probably judged it as much as you guys did from yeah. the trailer and the, the trailer was shit like, it yeah. just cut to the chase it was and a terrible that was, to get the trailer. Like, that was enough yeah. wasn't going to go and see but it but it was weird because there, there was the, the, the jokes in the trailer I didn't find funny no. I la- in the context of the film I then laughed so yeah because it makes more sense so but yeah no I'll definitely watch it you no, should, yeah, yeah, absolutely should. Watch you do a look now before we leave you all for another week, Paul. Uh, we do have a section sort of floating around in the background, which is called credits. Do you have anything that you would like to give credit to this week, uh, or not? <laughs> uh, give credit to me putting you on the spot like that, Joel Kinnaman's gym routine. Oh man, uh, <laughs> to get him in shape for Altered Carbon. My word, <laughs> which is a Netflix wow, sci-fi yeah. series. Yeah, Dude, I thought it was CGI. <laughs> I had to look it up and be like, have they done a kind of like you know when Chris Evans was made to look like younger yeah. in uh, in that what was that Winter Soldier or something uh, yeah made, made to look much younger I thought oh, they've just done like CGI body but how are they going to maintain that for a whole series it seems very expensive no dude's just gone to the gym like eight days a week to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to get that body going on um, for my part I want to give credit to uh, we spoke about Jennifer Lawrence's career arc and uh, where she is at the moment she recently guested on uh, the WTF podcast that you've probably heard of. It's Mark Maron, the sort of godfather of podcasting at this point. Uh, they do a sit-down interview for about an hour, which, uh, as she does in almost all interviews that I've seen anyway, she comes over really, really well. But also it gives some insight into the process of making both Red Sparrow to some extent, but more so um, Mother and working with Aronofsky, who she was romantically involved with and then not romantically involved with. And she's just quite a, a breath of fresh air and I'm not like breaking any news to say that but it's really engaging I mean a number of his interviews are but that one in particular and particularly in a week when we've kind of slagged off her latest film I think uh, go, go give that a it's listen it's probably going to ruin our chance of getting her as a guest isn't it to be yeah fair, I so, mean yeah. she was she was on the, the she top was keen. looking forward to yeah, that she was keen to come on the show but um, yeah apparently not anymore so oh. yeah Jack any credits from you nope good no right. <laughs> No, I don't think so this week. Maybe I'll think of one for next week. Jackson Bollocks got any credits to To the violence in Red Sparrow. On on a note of Jackson Bollocks. On an um, in-joke that nobody understands. (laughs) We'll probably sign off. So so keep, keep, as I said, we mentioned social media earlier, at Stranger Cinema on Twitter, Stranger Cinema on Facebook and Instagram. So um, hook us up there if you want to talk to us or any questions 
or any feedback is always great. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And as Paul mentioned at the, the beginning of this show, uh, James Ewan's doing great work with the social media stuff. Show that guy some love by throwing out your questions and comments on any of our social media portals. We much appreciate it. And hopefully... I mean, you, can, you can still reach us on Of there. course. So yeah, we, of are, course. we do still have access to it. He's, yeah. he's not become us. He hasn't stolen um, the keys to the no, kingdom no, no. <laughs> in that regard. But yeah, we look forward to including a section in our show where we focus on listener questions. But in order to do that, we need a good enough quantity of those questions to really you know dig our teeth into. So uh, get at us on social media is what we're basically saying. And apart from that... Episode 80 is done. Episode 81 will be featuring uh, probably again two features. Those will be the Lynn Ramsey movie, uh, You Were Never Really Here, and perhaps Wonder Wheel, the Woody Allen film that yeah. I previewed today. Or maybe Mum and Dad. We'll see how it yeah, goes in terms of those releases. Yeah. But that will be available for your listening pleasure in about a week's time. Until then, um, it's goodbye, I guess. Yes, goodbye. See you next time. Shut up and sit down. Shut up and sit down.